Hi everybody, hope you're doing well. It's Steph and Izzy Cakes. It is, I think, the 23rd of July 2009, and these are a few amateur, unprofessional, not a psychologist, not a therapist, just my um, personal opinions about certain aspects of thinking that uh, I thought you might be interested in. And a listener posted on the board and said, Steph, this um, death of the ego thing, what's up with that? And I think it was a great question. And I've touched on it in a few podcasts uh, way back in the shifting sands of time. Or perhaps as far as my opinions go, the shifty sands of time to be determined. But I thought it was worth talking about because there has been some minor non-clarifications about the way in which I use the term true self and false self, and they're pretty standard, but I thought I might as well define them as, uh, as I see them, and hopefully that will be of use to you. The false self conforms to bullying irrationalities, and the true self conforms to reason and uh, evidence. That is, uh, <laughs> that's really all it comes down to. The true self is that which survives, if not flourishes, by subjecting itself to reason and evidence. Uh, science is the true self of mankind and uh, philosophy, ultimately. And the degree to which we have to submit ourselves to the irrational uh, and <clears throat> almost always enforced absolutes of others is the degree to which we are subjected to the false self. The cooperation of tribalism, or the cooperationism the cooperation that tribalism requires, all human survival other than bare minimum pittance, requires some form of uh, cooperation. And the need for cooperation gives the tribe a great deal of power of the individual. If you need the tribe for protection and for food and for hunting, and um, if you're a woman, you need the tribe for protection while you're pregnant and during the early days of child raising, then <coughs> the, the, the tribe has a fair amount of power, of course, over you and can enforce its whims upon you in return for protection, right? So the tribe sort of becomes a little bit like, you know, the mafia guy who comes leaning up to your bar and says, uh, yeah, a nice bar, be a shame if something, you know, happened to it. Or the guy who offers to watch your car when you know that if you don't pay him, the only person who will be uh, harming your car is the person who... Uh, is claiming to offer protection, right? So that is uh, something else that's uh, important. So the tribe has a lot of power over the individual. Sometimes you cannot eat the keys at all times. <laughs> you, must, you must eat something else. She just loves my keys, and, and I, I love to give them to her because, I mean, they're clean, right? <laughs> I wipe them down, but I don't want her to eat them all the time. But unfortunately, when I give her the keys, she eats them. So... We're doing a bit of a wrestle at the moment, which is fine. But, um, so for example, right, to, to take a, a sort of typical example, there's uh, a more modern example than, than sort of mere tribalism, is that somebody grows up in a religious community, and in order to maintain his standing within that community, he needs to subject his natural inclination towards reason and evidence to... Uh, belief in superstitious nonsense, right? Like religion. And he has to, and it's very, it's a pretty humiliating thing to do, right? Uh, and, and the way that we survive that humiliation 
is we make it a value, right? Loving God, uh, getting along, going along, uh, being virtuous, getting to heaven, uh, piety, fealty, faith, right? We, we turn it all into a virtue. That's how we survive the humiliation of being controlled in this bullying kind of way and forced to spout Jewish zombie-style nonsense. You know, we, we have to sort of believe that it's virtue, because if we act as if it's just power, then we don't do a very convincing job and we don't gain the benefits, right? Those who inflict the false self on others, and it needs to be inflicted, it's not natural, but those who inflict the false self on others are very good at figuring out if you're faking it. Right? They are the O'Briens of 1984, and they're very good at figuring out when you're faking it. And so they will uh, mess you up if you do, right? So you really have to go whole hog. You have to believe it, really believe it, in order for, for it to work in that way. And so the false self does not coexist with the true self, with your accurate perceptions of reality in that sense. What it does is it displaces it, right? And for survival reasons, right? If that which is a greater danger to you is the hostility or rejection of your tribe relative to other dangers you might be facing, then you will conform to the tribe and you will reject reality because the reality is if you reject the tribe, you won't survive or you won't reproduce, right? So those who... And reproduction is really what it comes down to from a biological standpoint. So if you reject the irrational absolutes, the bullied irrationalities of the tribe, then you can't mate. And so that those who simply won't give up on that, who won't give up their empiricism, who won't give up their reason, those people simply don't survive to reproduce, which is why tribes tend to keep a very tight hold over uh, women, right, particularly in the, in the context of, of religion and so on. Go to church to meet women, that's fine. They're not fools, these people, they are very, very smart. If only they could use it for the power of good, as we strive to here. So, that is the... You don't have any leaves in there, do you see? No. So that is the, um, that is the sort of dichotomy, right? And, and the growth of mankind has been, in my opinion, fundamentally reaching out towards the true self, right? To, to reality, to reason, to evidence, away from bullied, false self compliance with the irrational absolutes of the tribe. And it is a very, very scary and frightening and enraging thing to pursue because you provoke, uh, in my experience, you provoke in people their conformity. The, 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 you provoke the humiliation of their conformity when you point out that it's both erroneous and um, uh, unnecessary, right? So the degree to which you flourish as a good man and woman is the degree to which those who believe that is impossible deep down will resent you and uh, get mad and, you know, we've all, <laughs> we've all read this. Ayn Rand wasn't particularly wrong in this, uh, in this arena, in my opinion. So, the, the, the false self is uh, that which arises out of a fear, uh, fundamentally, in the way that I formulate it, it arises out of a fear of uh, dying or of not reproducing, which, you know, biologically is sort of the same thing deep down. 
And so it arises out of fear, and it, children are naturally empirical and rational. And I, I can say this with more confidence now that I have a daughter, but children are naturally, and she's very empirical and, and very rational. And um, rational may not be quite the right word, but uh, let's just stick with empirical. Right? I mean, her, she does not doubt her senses. <laughs> she uh, does not doubt that reality exists. She does not doubt that food is objective. She does not doubt this, that, and the other. Right? She does not doubt that <laughs> there appear to be snakes in her crib whenever we put her in because she just doesn't like going there. But uh, she's very empirical. And so why would you give up reason and evidence which is so simple, right? It's such a simple life to, to live with reason and evidence. You don't have to manipulate stuff. Um, you don't have to, uh, to say, uh, you know, like they, they, the Catholic nonsense that they make up, right? It's the 19th century. So the wages of sin is death. So human beings only die because human beings have sinned. But the Virgin Mary couldn't have sinned because she was perfect and therefore she did not die. She ascended bodily to heaven where she lives. And right, of course, all this stuff is ridiculously complicated and entirely made up and and that's a lot of work to to figure out that kind of nonsense and to keep it straight and make it even you know vaguely believable and so on so uh that is uh that's a really complicated life right sustaining the belief in gods and ghosts and gremlins and angels and demons and right when they're they're just not there and it's all just complete bullshit that, that's a lot of work. So why would you want to take on that ridiculous work of keeping 12,000 mental plates spinning on sticks in your brain? Well, because the alternative is death or ostracism. Right? Two sides of the same coin, one personal, the other biological. So the false self arises out of a fear of death or ostracism. We'll just say death, but I mean ostracism as well. So either personal or biological death, personal or genetic death. And that's why when you start to lift the lid of the false self, people get very tense, upset, angry, afraid, lash out, a self-attack, right? They get messed up, like you're pushing their hand into a kind of destructive, flesh-eating static. That's a good image. They're back, right? And And that's because the false self arises out of a kind of terrorism, a kind of terrorism against reality and reason. And so, and that's why I talked about the Invisible Apple in FDR 72 so many years ago. Because it is a kind of crossroads. And we choose the false self, or rather the false self is inflicted upon us, because the alternative is death. Ostracism. And so... When we confront the false self, we really have to go back to that crossroads to say, well, wh- why do I believe all this stuff that is false? Why do, believe, why do I believe all this stuff that is nonsense? That's really painful to go back to. It's emotionally very, very difficult, very difficult. Because you're going back to a kind of self-annihilation. I mean, we can't be free as people until we are free as individuals. We can't be free as individuals as long as we're addicted or fearful of or enmeshed in superstition, bigotry, 
you know, culture, religion, fantasy, statism. And so that's that's why I talk about this distinction, right? So when you go back to when you recognize the false self, then you go back to its origins, right? Because you want to overthrow it. You want to regain a simple and direct contact with the reason and reality. But to go back is to go back to a time of betrayal and attack, to go back to that moment at the table with the invisible apple. When you are told things that are false, and you know what will happen if you don't believe them or if you question them, that you will be attacked. And we're biologically programmed to not do that, right? Because to do that is to die. Again, I'm not saying I'm not saying children get killed when if they question Jesus. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that genetically we don't take that chance, right? Nature has weeded out those who were willing to take that chance, right? So Sorry, Dawkins talks about this too. Like, uh, people who questioned their parents uh, were weeded out. Children who questioned their parents or acted against their wishes in many ways were, would be weeded out because the parents would say, don't eat the red berries because they're poisonous. Kids that didn't listen would die, right? But there were other things that this power is less benevolently or beneficently used for. And so, in my again, this is all just my thoughts, my experience, uh, nothing, uh, nothing, nothing true in it. Right? I mean, this is, this is just a way of looking at it. It's my way of looking at it. Again, it may, may mean absolutely nothing to you. But, but my experience was that resurrection requires burial. I wrote in a poem when I was 19 or 20, I believe, that we must bury ourselves in order to become resurrected. I mean, that is a mere metaphor, doesn't it? doesn't mean anything, but uh, if it's true, so human beings are either drawn to, naturally drawn towards irrationality and hate reason and evidence, which explains the world as it stands and as it stood for most of all of history, and it stands better now than it ever did before in history. But either human beings are naturally drawn to irrationality, superstition, conformity, anger, attack, immaturity or it's inflicted and I believe it's inflicted I really do I really do and uh, we can go into uh, more of the evidence behind that another time perhaps but there's really strong evidence that, that it is and If that is the case, then we have to figure out why. And this is sort of one explanation as to why people end up this way, right? And why they don't start this way, but why it's inflicted upon them. Human beings, to me, are naturally reasonable and uh, evidence-based and sense-based. So, when it comes to looking at what happens when we overturn the false self, well, it's ripping a huge band-aid off an open wound. This goes back to the wound as to why we would choose irrational conformity over the simplicity and clarity of reason and evidence, which is what we're born with. 
no Cartesian demon doubts with Isabella about <laughs> breast milk, right? It is what it is. Object constancy uh, is she's getting for sure. Seven months now. Well, she knows all of this stuff. It's natural. It's empirical. Why would we give it up? Why would we give up that which is natural to us? Right? When she's hungry, she cries for mummy or daddy. She doesn't get on her knees and pray for manna from heaven. She knows a simple cause and effect of reality. The simple, clear, direct, empirical, material reality she lives in. Not a lot of complication and confusion. If we mime her giving food, she doesn't feel full. Not that we have, but if we did, right? So why would we give up on that which is so natural to us? Well, because we're, we fear death or ostracism, death or rejection, or banishment. Which is another reason why I know the DRO theory will work so well. Banishment is, we're programmed to avoid banishment as species, right? That's why, why it'll work so well. But anyway, topic for another time, well, a topic we've already done. And so when we go back and we sort of undo the scar tissue or we look at the scar tissue of the false self, then we face the emotions that provoked the false self to begin with, which is fear, a fear of dying or or being ostracized. And that's why it feels like dying, because it is a fear of death that originally provoked this kind of crazy conformity. Crazy with regards to reality, not with regards to survival, right? Crazy with regards to reality, not with regards to survival. This is the important distinction. The false self is a very necessary aspect of human survival. <laughs> and imagine, for those who had uh, brutal and irrational parents, I mean, imagine if you hadn't been able to conform. Ugh, well... So it is an, and it's not an enemy of life or anything. It is, okay, well, fuck. <laughs> we live in water, so we'll grow gills, right? It's adaptive. It's just that we don't want to adapt to that when we don't have to, right? So when we become adults and we can have voluntary relations, then we don't want to have that crazy, fearful adaptation, Right? And I'm not, I mean, obviously I'm talking about people who have uh, abusive families, but uh, it happens in school, even if you didn't have an abusive family. It happens in school, it happens sometimes in your peer group, it happens lots of places. Sports teams, right? And uh, so it, it really does feel like dying to go back and uproot the false self. It causes a re-experiencing of the emotions which led rise to dissociated crazed fearful Stockholm Syndrome conformity. Hello darling. Here, appeasement. Or as we call it in our household, appeasement. <laughs> Have my keys darling. So, that's, that's why I talk about it, it feeling like a kind, of, a kind of death. And, you know, God, we'd hope it would be the hard, a very hard thing 
damn, we'd hoped that it would be a very hard thing to recover the simplicity of reason and evidence from the chaos of fearful and bullied conformity. Because damn on damn on toast, if it wasn't a really hard thing, would it make any sense whatsoever that 2,500 years after Socrates, we were still fighting the same goddamn battle? Of course it's an incredibly tough thing to do. We should fall on our knees and thank the great god of logic, reason and evidence, the Holy Trinity, that we should, that it should be so damn hard. Because if it was really easy and it hadn't been done for two and a half centuries, there'd be no hope. There'd be no hope, right? It, it has to be this hard. It has to be this hard. Otherwise, it would make no sense as to why we still live in an irrational world and universe and why it's taken so many thousands of years to get the first faint glimmerings of reason and evidence as common coinage in the mental toolbox of mankind. So it is my, to my eternal relief that it is so hard to be simply reasonable and virtuous and why it is so emotionally difficult to go back and take that other fork in the road away from conformity, towards reason. The degree of the difficulty, the degree of difficulty is the degree of hope for the future. In harshness, there is massive optimism. In the despair of the moment, there is massive optimism for the future of the species. And I thank you so much for joining me on this journey.